It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Fenway Rundown. The premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's a somber version of the Fenway Rundown podcast today. Uh, I'm Chris Cotillo. We have Sean McAdam alongside. And the day after the passing of Tim Wakefield at 57, somebody who brought him into the Red Sox organization and knows him or knew him very, very well, Dan Duquette, the former Red Sox general manager, is with us. Sean, you covered Wake for his entire career, his entire span here in Boston. Uh, Dan, you were there for a lot of it. So, um, you know, I didn't know him personally as well as both of you did, so I just want to use this time as a remembrance for somebody that obviously touched a lot of lives, had a great impact on and off the field. Dan, we'll start with you. Yesterday, the tragic news hitting that Wakefield uh, had passed away. Just your reaction and, and kind of the shock um, when you first heard that. Well, I, I, I knew Tim was sick, and, and um, I know that his wife had health challenges too, and um you know, I mean, we, we just sent our love and prayers to them uh, late last week. Uh, my wife, Amy, and I, Amy, uh, knew Tim um, when he was getting started in Boston. So, you know, obviously we, we knew he was sick and he had a challenge, but, you know, we, we didn't expect it to happen. Of course, you never expect it to happen. And, um, you know, it wasn't long after uh, th- th- that we heard the news that we heard from some of Tim's teammates and you know, the remembrances started pouring in uh, over his great career with the team. And Sean? Yeah, I'll, I'll remember Tim as, uh, you know, a in addition to whatever he accomplished on the field, which was significant. And I think, um, Chris, you and I talked briefly yesterday about this. I think Tim uh, uh, was and is very underrated in Red Sox history. When you look at a franchise that dates back 120 something years and there are only two people ahead of Tim Wakefield on the all-time victory list and those two names are Roger Clemens and Cy Young uh, that starts to put his achievement and his accomplishments and his uh, career in a Red Sox uniform uh, into some perspective and yet as great a competitor as he was and as great a pitcher as he was uh, I, I think anyone that knew him knows that that is only half the story uh, for his philanthropy, for his dedication to the Jimmy Fund, for his willingness to do just about anything that was asked of him uh, when it came to charity work. Uh, he didn't do it reluctantly. He didn't do it uh, for plaudits or recognition. In fact, he would prefer most of his work in that area to go unrecognized. He wasn't doing it uh, for any self-glorification. He was doing it because he wanted to. 
He had a pure heart. And uh, one of my favorite guys, I've covered the team for 35 years. And uh, Wake is on my top 10 list and will remain there. Dan, when I say Tim Wakefield, what comes to mind first and foremost? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Sean, because when you start out with uh, Cy Young and Clemens, you're talking about, uh, you know, two iconic players. And uh, Tim's Tim's right up there with him. But I think he, he even got more outs than them. I think he got more outs than any pitcher in Red Sox history over the course of his career. And, you know, that 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 says a lot. Um, you know, and I, I'm I, I smile every time I think back to the way that he started with the Red Sox organization. Uh, he went down there and worked with Phil Necro in Fort Myers, Florida, after he uh, had lost his confidence in his knuckleball. And he went down there and Phil gave him everything he needed. Um, and we brought him up on May the 27th. OK, and he won 14 of his next 15 outings. He won a game out on the West Coast in Anaheim. And then he won two days later in Oakland. And he ended up pitching 195 innings, and he stormed through the American League like he stormed through the National League the first time he saw him. And he basically led us to the division crown. I mean, here's a guy that didn't pitch April and May, and he ended up with five war uh, his very first season. And then his reliability over the course of his career beyond that, uh, his leadership capability uh, in the clubhouse – and and his 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 uh, his dependability as as a teammate, you know, were. I mean, he he. he um, Damon said it well when he gave him the trophy in 2004. Here's the pride of the Red Sox, Tim Wakefield, and um, you you couldn't pick a player to be more proud of than than Timmy Wakefield because of because of what he did for the team. I mean, here he, here's a guy that. He thought of the team first and himself second, okay? And he, 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 he like uh, Rob Manfred said, he was a uniquely skilled player and he was a key part of the uh, high point uh, of Red Sox history, right? He was a key cog in the, in the teams that, that achieved that. But here's a guy that uh, thought of himself after he thought about the needs of the team and – he thought about his job as going out there and getting outs. Okay. He didn't think of it necessarily as a, the role of starting pitcher or reliever or closer. And he, he could, he could do all of those. Um, and if you're going to have a good uh, pitching staff, uh, you, you need a guy like Tim Wakefield, who's the Jack of all trades, uh, who's, who's the glue to hold it together. And, and Tim was able to do that. Uh, not, not just for, a short time but uh you know for for almost 20 years um and that, that that's what i'll think about when i think about tim wakefield uh, he, he was a rare talent uh but he also had the gift of compassion he, he understood his teammates and he understood the community he adopted the community here and was a big part of it um and and he he lived a life of service to the red sox and their fans Dan, uh, I was wondering if you could take us back to 95. That was your first year as general manager of the team. It was a highly unusual uh, season with the 
Um, with the lockout in spring, replacement players, the delayed start of season, um, it was a crazy time. What led you to reach out to a guy who had, I think, had a five or six ERA at AAA for most of the year before at 94? What what caught your eye? What led you to reach out and sign him in uh, in April or May of 95? Well, first of all, we were looking for pitching, right? Uh, Roger was not healthy when he came to spring training after the long layoff, and that was a number of innings that we needed, right, that we were depending on him to provide for the staff. Uh, Eddie Haas and I went down to uh, the the tryout camp in Florida at the at the Marlins spring training place, and uh, we signed Eric Hansen and Zane Smith, and, and uh, we were still looking for pitching. Now, we knew intimately what Tim Wakefield was capable of because when the Pirates brought him up, I think it was in 92, uh, might have been 93, they pulled away from us in the standings. We were neck and neck with the Pirates uh, and contending that year, and they brought up this kid Wakefield, and, and I, I said, who, who is this guy? And he reeled off about five or six consecutive starts. Um, and... Eddie Haas was in the Braves organization when Phil Necro was in the Braves organization. And, uh, of course, Eddie was friendly with both the Necros, and they were out on the backfield down there in, in Fort Myers, Florida. And when Tim's name came across the wire, uh, I asked Eddie about it, and he said, well, you know, take a look in the book. And if you look in the book, you, look, you see that Phil Necro won 300 games, right? And he pitched uh, up to 250 innings several times. And Eddie said, uh, uh, why don't I go talk to Phil and, and see if he's willing to help us? And um, so he went downstairs, he talked to Phil, and he came back. He said, you know, Phil, Phil, Phil will help us, but you're going to have to hire him. I said, yeah, no problem. We'll hire him. And then uh, I called up uh, Bill Moore, was Tim's agent. And I said, Bill, we, we, we got a job for Tim. I said, but more importantly, uh, we're going to put him to work with the – with a mentor that's going to help him get back on track. And that first day out on the field down in Fort Myers, Florida, Eddie, myself, Tim, and Phil went back there. And Phil told them three things. He said, he said, Timmy, first of all, the knuckleball, every time you throw, it's an out pitch. And he said, you have to believe that it's an out pitch. The only pitch that you can throw every time that you can get the hitter out with. And he said, the, the, the second thing you need to know is that you can use it to change speeds. He said, if you can learn how to change speeds on your knuckleball and control it. Um, and the third thing he told them was you need to learn to field your position. All the pitchers in the big leagues that end up having long careers. And I expect you're going to have a long career with a knuckler need to field their position. So if you can learn, learn those three things, you can pitch till you're 45 years old. <laughs> Bill told them that on the backfield the first day. Um, and Phil was prophetic, wasn't he? Uh, Timmy sure was. Timmy Timmy pitched till late. Uh, we we kept Phil on a retainer, and and uh, Tim developed a relationship with him. You know the the, the knuckleballers they have a small fraternity, and there's not a lot of uh, successful knuckle knuckleball pitchers in the big leagues. Uh, but Tim and Phil Necro, uh, I guess R.A. Dickey would be in that. Uh, Tom Candiotti was a knuckleballer that we drafted with the uh, Brewers that had some success in the big leagues. But it, it's a small 
it's a, Joe Necro would be another, uh, Wilbur Wood, who, who I didn't know, but all those other guys, they looked out for each other along the way. And, uh, certainly Phil helped Tim with his career. Tim, Tim would acknowledge that, but, uh, Tim, Tim helped Tim with his career. That was one of the great player development stories. Uh, you know, he learned the knuckleball on his own and he was able to sustain a career and make a living with it. Because the knuckleball is so rare, Dan, and because it is a difficult pitch to not only hit, but to catch, did you find any resistance um, from, say, Kevin Kennedy at the time or anybody on the staff or any of the catchers on that team? Was there kind of a, uh, what are we doing with this guy? Do we really need this? Well, Kevin Kennedy was an ex-catcher, and I believe he had caught a knuckleballer along the way, but Kevin Kennedy knew that we needed pitching, so he was willing to give it a try. So there, there was no resistance there, and as soon as he pitched a good game out in Anaheim, he brought him back in, in Oakland, and, you know, Wake proved himself when he when he ran off, you know, whatever, 14 out of 15. Um, Euchre caught Necro with the with the Braves, right? And they asked him how to catch a knuckleball, and he said, that's easy. You just run to the backstop and pick it up when it stops rolling. Um, Wake was a challenge. Um, Veritek uh, accepted the challenge. And then, of course, um, Wake developed a symbiotic relationship with Doug Marabelli. Uh, m- remember when uh, Doug Marabelli was with the team? Uh, I picked him up on a trade from uh, Wichita State. I think uh, he and Lansing played together at Wichita State. And then um, he was uh, Tim's catcher. Um, I think that gave uh, Tech uh, some rest, you know, because m- mentally it, it it's very taxing. And um, – then uh, the team let Mirabelli go, and then you remember <laughs> they brought him back. They were in a rush to bring him back. They had a state police escort from Logan yep. Airport to get him out there in time for the game. So there was some drama behind that. But um, later on, uh, there were some challenges for Tim uh, w- w- with, the, with the management team. If, if you look at how he was used by managers along the way, it, you know, it wasn't always peaches and cream which I give Tim a lot of credit for, um, you know, he, he accepted uh, that there were people that didn't really understand the knuckleball. Okay. If you're going to be in a, a management position, you, you need to understand the knuckleball completely. If you're going to uh, commit to it, it uh, you know, psychologically as a, as a pitcher, it's a difficult pitch to commit to, but uh, on the management team, if you don't understand it, it's hard to commit to it. So I think Timmy had to go through some of that, throughout his career but to his credit i mean he was always ready to pitch right he was ready to pitch whenever the manager gave him the ball um and then there's the there's the legend of uh game three of 2004 he volunteered to go down to the bullpen put his spikes on and pitch some innings to save the pitching staff for the last four games um and that that was an important that was an important job that job needed to be done and, and tim volunteered for that job and he was rewarded when he had a start in the in the World Series, right? He had an opportunity to win a game in the, the 2004 World Series. So um, it, it's a rare uh, player that's highly skilled that uh, thinks of the team first, uh, is considerate of others ahead of himself. And, uh, you know, Tim, Tim Wakefield had that trait. Uh, I'll ask both of you, and, and Sean, I know you covered this closely, and Dan, following after your time in Boston was up, but – you know, I know every player on the 04 Red Sox 
appreciated being part of that historic team. But did anybody appreciate it more considering, you know, where Wakefield was on that same mound at Yankee Stadium a year earlier, giving up the Aaron Boone home run? Like, <laughs> you know, Sean, I know you were there. Was that particularly touching to see him not just celebrate that, you know, ALCS win in 04, but also the series four games later? Dan, why don't you go ahead? Well, I, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, there, there's two infamous home runs. There's the BFD and the AFB home runs in Red Sox history. And that the AFB was particularly painful, right? Because they got to game seven and they were, they were knocking on the door, you know, at, at that point, Tim, Tim's the elder statesman on the ball club, right? And he's out there, uh, you know, pitching his tail off in extra innings, uh, you know, trying to win the game. Uh, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, uh, you know, w- uh, one of them went out of the ballpark. Um, you know, I mean, the, the knuckleball is a-, a fickle way to make your living. And I think that uh, Phil Necro's um, a counsel to Tim uh, got him to accept that, you know, you're not going to be able to control the knuckleball uh, all the time. Uh, although uh, Tim had what, what like three, little over three walks per game. I mean, he could he could do it better than anybody. But you're always not going to be able, to, you know, to control things and you know go out there and throw it and and believe in it, you know, uh, believe in yourself and commit to it. And I think, you know, that that was I'm sure that was a trying time for Wake, uh, but lo and behold, he got another opportunity. And I know his teammates were very very happy for him. Yeah, and you know, there's been video that has surfaced online uh, in the last 24 hours as people remember Tim and his career. And it's of Johnny Damon bringing the uh, American League Championship trophy, uh, or or perhaps it's the World Series trophy, I'm not sure. But there was a special recognition 12 months later uh, of Wake and the journey he had had in those 12 months to go from giving up a walk-off home run in which your team loses the pennant to coming back from being down three, nothing and winning the first championship for the Red Sox in 86 years. And there's video of Mike Timlin talking about wake, not being on some rosters during the division series and how selfless he was about that understanding that it was done for a reason. And it was done to put the best 25 guys out there. That's not an easy thing to accept. And yet, Wakefield remained the consummate teammate. And I, I think ultimately, as we celebrate him, that's the thing that people are going to remember. You know, the 186 wins and are uh, in a Red Sox uniform and the 200 career wins are all great accomplishments. But as we said at the beginning, I, I think people will remember his character and his dedication and his selflessness and how good a teammate he was. And you could see his teammates rallying around him, not only when things didn't go well, as in happened with the Boone home run, but when they did and he was there to enjoy them with him. Yeah, Sean, I I would say exactly what you said. He's an exemplary player uh, for the Red Sox, right? If you were to think about a player to represent the Red Sox, you couldn't think of anyone that represented them better than, than Tim Wakefield over the course of his career, uh, as a, as a teammate, as a uniquely skilled player and, and in the community. 
and that, that's a rare combination. There, there's a the, the picture behind me is a happy moment from when he got inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. So the the, the Red Sox certainly recognized it, and the people in the community that Tim touched along the way. Um, you'll you'll hear you'll you'll hear their testimonials come out here in the next few days. Dan, I did want to ask you about that because I mean that's such a part of the legacy, right? Like, during your time here. Is there any player who was, you know, more eager to step up and have such a big role? I think he was the first Jimmy Fund captain and really kind of, you know, decided this wasn't his home, but to make it an adopted home and be, you know, so integral to all of the different charitable aspects of it, Red Sox Foundation later on. But why was that so important to him? Well, I think Tim Tim um, had the gift of humility as well. And uh, if you're a major league player and, and you get released, right, and you're out of a job and you have a second chance, uh, and the Red Sox gave, gave Tim a second chance, he, he, he made the most of it. And, and I think he, he understand that. And, you know, psychologically, um, he had a long career. It, it had its ups and, and it, it had its downs. And I think with the compassion that he had for other people, he, he understood that you know, he had a gift and he was willing to share that gift with other people. He's a very, very generous guy. Dan, what, what has been your, what was your interaction um, with Wake, uh, you know, after his career was over, you had left the Red Sox before that, but um, what were your dealings with him uh, in recent years and what kind of things would you talk about when you got together or spoke with him? Well, you know, t- t- Tim was um, he was an expert analyst for the club, and uh, so during my time with the Orioles, my recent time with the Orioles, I would look forward to uh, visiting with him when I would come into uh, Fenway Park. And it, Tim was good friends with Joe Cochran, the uh, clubhouse man, and Joe was the visiting clubhouse man. Uh, and Tim Wakefield would come by and visit with Joe, and I got an opportunity to visit with both those guys. Uh, in the clubhouse prior to games. And so that, that, that was something that I always look forward to whenever I came to Boston. I'd get a chance to visit with Wake, uh, catch up with him uh, on, on how he and his family were doing, catch up on the team. And then, um, you know, uh, recently we, we were looking forward to uh, playing down at a tournament down in uh, Dominican uh, Heathcliff Slocum was doing a tournament down there and, uh, Wake had a place down there and, uh, we were going to go down there in the fall, but that didn't materialize. The tournament got kicked out and, uh, you know, uh, I, I see a lot of Trot Nixon down here in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. He's close to, uh, he and his wife, Catherine are close to, uh, Stacy and Tim. And, uh, they went up to visit, visit them a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, told me the challenges that were ahead. Uh, but I mean, you know, Tim, Tim's a very, he's, he's a very humble guy. He's always the first guy to, to offer to help uh, the front office. Right. Um, he, he, he was a link between the front office and the field there for many, many years. And we'll close with this. I, I, uh, I know I'm putting you both on the spot here. I'll start with Dan, then go to Sean. Uh, your favorite memory, if you could pick out a singular moment, uh, knowing Tim Wakefield, whether it's a funny anecdote, a touching one, however you want to take it, it's open ended. Well, I, I, I was, I was, um, 
I was proud of Tim when he won a World Series game in 2004, and I, I think that 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 was that was a highlight for me. And then um, his, I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna give you one other one. Um, his struggle to get to game 200, that 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 was a struggle. And uh, Terry Francona, a uh, brilliant manager, a, a, another another um, uh, humble humble guy, uh, and, a, and a, a great baseball guy uh he he kept giving tim uh a chance and then he gave tim another chance and he gave tim another chance and i was so happy when tim won his uh 200th game uh i, I think that that was really the the cherry on top of the cake for me when when he got to that milestone because uh he tried to scale that hill several times and and he he, he fell down to the bottom and uh, finally he got up there I'm going to pick the very same event, Dan. Uh, that was his ninth attempt to win. I looked it up last night. Uh, <laughs> when he went out to win, to try to win career win 200. Excuse me. Uh, he had had eight previous attempts where he was stuck on 199, and that was the ninth try. And it was, you know, at the time, there wasn't much else to play for. There wasn't a whole lot on the line there, but it was all about making sure that he got to that important milestone. And I remember him coming out after the game in his warm-up jacket. Uh, it was late in the season. I think it was a cool night in September. And uh, the tears kind of, you know, just, just rolling down his face, uh, you know, both joy and I'm sure he had a million things going through his mind, having persevered, having had uh, you know, a 19-year major league career, 17 in a Red Sox uniform. And we, everyone knew how important it was for him to get to 200. And it was just great satisfaction that this guy who would always put others first uh, got to realize a career goal that not many people get to get to achieve. So that um, be, because he thought of others so much in his time, I'd like to focus on something that meant uh, something to him personally and that he was uh, gratified to be able to reach. That's a great way to, I think, wrap this up. I appreciate it, Dan and Sean. Some great remembrances of Tim Wakefield, who died Sunday at age 57. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.